0: Hello and welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. My name is Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood.
1: Hey, Jason, how are you doing today?
0: Good, good. We are, um, we're still inside in separate locations. Um, this is our, what, third episode, fourth episode now?
1: See, this is like the days that I've been, uh, you know, on our isolation I I've forgotten how many days and how many weeks it's actually been I've stopped, I just kind of stopped counting at this point
0: yeah I should have started etching you know the, the marks in the wall you know to count the days away uh, but they also extended it another month a few days ago so yeah we're signed up for even more
1: however I got a nice reprieve I now have a 10 mile cycling radius so yeah. my, my rides are significantly more interesting now uh, than they were up until well I guess I get it this, you know, this time around. So, uh, yeah, I have more more riding variety, uh, which makes me happy.
0: Sure, and allergies are also hitting pretty hard at this point. So, you know, quite quite an adventure so far.
1: But with more riding variety, hopefully that means I'll get the opportunity to burn more fat while I'm out there, which is actually what I'm going to talk about today. It's a little bit about fat and fat metabolism and how it works and why you know what kind of why it's important to our performance as cyclists okay so so with that we'll we'll jump in and i I think there's a couple interesting things just just right off the bat when you think about the numbers uh so you know if you just look at uh, for a fixed amount of oxygen that you're breathing in and utilizing carbohydrates is going to produce more energy right more power to the pedal than fat will. it's just going to be more efficient now the problem with that, um, as we've discussed many times before, is you can only store so many carbohydrates in, in the form of glycogen in the body, both in your muscles and in your liver. Uh, it's on the order of about 500 grams, which is about 2,000 calories plus or minus, um, depending on the the individual. So that's not going to get you very far, really. Um,
0: well, it's right. two and a half hours, uh, you know, at at tempo. Yeah, so not bad, but um, you know, but, for for an endurance athlete, um, we probably need a little more than that. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so if you're doing longer rides, longer than you know, you crits or maybe a, a short two-hour event, if you're starting to ride longer and longer, either your endurance training rides or maybe like three, four-hour road races, or I you don't know, some crazy long ultra endurance events, you you're going to need to burn some fat. And fat is this great fuel source, uh, cause it's way more dense than carbohydrates when we store them. So if you look at just dry weight, uh, fat's going to give you nine calories per gram and carbohydrates are going to give you four calories per gram. So that's already an advantage. Now, even more interestingly, when we store them in the body, fat's kind of fat, right? Fat, I mean, fat and water don't mix. We all, we all know that we've done this experiment many times with our, with our salad dressing or other things um so the carbohydrate actually gets stored with water so when you look at it in terms of weight like energy uh per weight fat actually ends up being six to eight times more efficient in terms of energy storage in the body
0: per pound or per unit mass is that
1: yeah per per, yeah per unit mass that's actually stored and accessible in the body Hmm. Uh, when it's when it's dry like it's, you know, basically two to one in favor of fat, but when it you know dry, so to speak, but when it's stored in the body, um, it's more like six to eight to one.
0: And that's because you need, favor of fat. um, you need like four grams of water to store one gram of carbohydrates, I believe.
1: Ex- exactly. So that that's exactly it. bumps up the ratio. Yep. That's exactly it. So anyhow, just, uh, just something for consideration. Oh, you know, okay. Well, do I want fat? Do I want carbs? And they, they each have their advantages, but, uh, in terms of efficiency and storage fat wins. And the other thing is even for, you know, the leanest, uh, endurance athlete, right. The, the folks that are down into the, the low single digits of body fat percentage, they have plentiful fat available to burn, um, you know, in terms of energy. So they're, you know, they're unlikely to run out in most Most sporting events, at least.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. And, um, you know, like you said, fat is really good in terms of per unit mass energy storage. But what's interesting is actually a gram of fat is significantly larger than a gram of most other molecules that our body uses or our body has. And so you Mm -hmm. have to balance that with the aerodynamic cost of fat. And this is more theoretical than anything else, but, you know, I I think there's a pretty popular aerodynamics study, like one of the old ones, like uh, black and white, like they took pictures of the study to put it into a PDF. And they claimed that for every three kilograms of body mass that you lost, you were 3% more aerodynamic. And, uh, you know, okay, three kilograms of of fat is is actually pretty large, pretty voluminous and so they're they're arguing that you know your profile decreases. so that's the other end of you know this is why people aren't just you know as big as possible fair, because there are enough. downsides to you know to too much fat storage
1: yeah and I mean I think there's a few events where that would be favorable, right um, you know for for the most part, like I said even even your leanest athlete, has an abundant fat store for the use in sport
0: yes true
1: so okay so other considerations here so fat is really only going to be used when we're doing aerobic activity Um, and it's it's sort of it's a big it's a big molecule kind of as you mentioned and it part of that is it it digests really slowly because it's such a large molecule Um, and it and it also did digests later in the system. So, I mean, carbohydrates, we well, even start to break them down in the mouth and then the stomach, the fat digestion really doesn't even happen until the small intestine. Um, and it gets uh, bound to the bile salts and it can be broken down and then it can be absorbed. And really actually our, our liver, um, it, it one our liver actually uses uh, the lipids, the fat as an energy source. Um, but it's also one of its roles is to help maintain an appropriate balance of, uh, circulating lipids in the bloodstream so that we're, you know, our energy levels are appropriate given the activity that we're doing, Hmm. Uh, which right now, as we're sitting here talking and resting, um, we're probably burning 60, like 60% or so of our energy is coming from fat metabolism. And then as you as you ramp up with activity it, it goes down and the, the higher intensity of your activity, the less and less fat we're actually going to end up burning.
0: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong at about threshold, it's it's basically zero. Um, and that's yep. because the energy pathway just can't support that kind of, uh, you know, use of energy like you just can't break the fat down quickly enough. So it says, OK ditch this substrate. Let's go all sugar.
1: Uh, yeah, it's actually even, um, even slightly more nuanced than that. And it's what, what ends up happening is that, so as our in- exercise at intensity increased, right, we get to threshold, we're starting to have, uh, more circulating lactate because we can't manage it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so between that and the accumulation of acid or right? we're relatively that we're a little bit more acidic. Um, and then you have some byproducts of carbohydrate use that are coming off like from the Krebs cycle that we talked about last week or last, last time we were talking about, um, metabolism and the mitochondria. So with that, what happens is actually the, the very enzymes that, um, allow fat into the mitochondria for energy use. Are actually inhibited so Mm -hmm. it's like the body has basically has a system in place that stops us from using fat as we start to uh, exercise at higher intensities and and part of it is where it's not as efficient it's not as easily readily used um, when we get to those higher intensities. so the body doesn't really want it to be used
0: yeah and uh, what's interesting and I guess how this connects to what we've talked about before is that these longer events that You need more fat metabolism or also at lower intensities and there's this kind of symbiotic relationship between well we all kind of know that you can't just sprint for four hours straight or you know do super threshold for four hours straight but it's uh it's because you need to rely on fat more because you don't have enough sugar for the longer events and the only way you can rely on fat is by doing something at a lower intensity
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know, one of the important things to recognize is it's fats, right? We we use when we're doing aerobic level efforts, right? So it's, it's lower on the, it's lower than threshold. It's really going to be the aerobic system that we're focused on using. And that's when we can drive up the fat use. And I think you've, you've mentioned this before, right? But as, as we go, you know, like I said, from this rest point, we're maybe doing 60% of our energy um, from lipids. And then as we move up, You know, if we use VO2 max as our marker, as we move up to around 50% VO2 max or so, 60%, we're basically, even though our fat utilization has gone down relatively, um, it's not 60% anymore, it's actually going down, but the amount of energy we're using is going up and our net fat utilization has gone up at that point where we're probably, you know, burning more, relatively more, um, it may be as much as like, 70% 70% of that energy could be um, coming from carbs, or excuse me, from fats.
0: Yeah, and, and then remembering also that you do still need to supplement with carbohydrates if you're trying to do this in a steady state form where you can do it indefinitely because you are still contributing 30% from carbohydrates. And this is why professional athletes are still eating carbohydrates you know, deep into a race because there is still some sugar contribution.
1: Well, yeah, really, yes, and you know part of the reason they were hoping to burn fat, I think, is that they wanted to spare their carbohydrates for uh, more intense efforts that may come later in the event.
0: Yes, also true.
1: Uh, which I think brings me to the, the I think the key part of so why is why is it important, like why is fat burning important in the sport, um, particularly in endurance sport? And I think if you're you know if your event is super short, then you should, you can just ignore what I'm about to say. Um, but if you, you know, if you do anything, that's really longer than an hour and a half or so, um, and presumably even some, some things that are in that range, that's important because it's going to allow you to preserve your carbohydrates that you're going to want to use for the really high intensity efforts that I think ultimately are going to decide the outcome of your event, uh, provided everything else goes, you know, reasonably smoothly. Um, So you really, you want to be able to use, or, you know, get as far, as far towards the finish line using fat as a fuel. And then in the crucial moment, you want to be able to use uh, your carbohydrates to really power those efforts.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that's really important here is that we use the fat when it's not the essential crux of the race so that we can use the carbs when it is the you know if you get dropped here you're not in the front group you can't win you need to be able to dip into the carbohydrate stores but before then there's almost no need to so let's try and train our body not to use the sugar then
1: yeah i mean i always think about this like uh, a hybrid car right like the hybrid car drives on electric energy if it can um, but then if you really need to accelerate aggressively you know you really need some power it's going to use that gas engine right? It's, it's really trying not to use the gas, but if it needs to, it's going to, I think same situation, you know, in your bike race, right? Use that fat Think about that as like the, the electric battery. Um, and then if you need to use, you, know, you really need to accelerate, you need to do something, then yeah, you want to use the carbs and you want to have them available and in, you know, in plentiful quantities such that you can really hit the gas and go when that needs to happen.
0: Yeah, and actually, it's interesting that how this phenomenon matches up into race tactics. Uh, for example, if, say, you know your threshold is higher than you know, some other riders, if you can get away from them and force them to ride threshold while you ride threshold, you can really drain their carbohydrate stores. Or um, if you're pace lining, and uh, I, I remember one race where two teammates, the one teammate was sort of the decoy, and he would always uh, pull through too hard. And it would frustrate all of us, of course, because the organization is all messed up. But I spoke with him afterwards and he said, well, the guy behind me is super lean and there's a climb at the end of the race. And so every time I punched it to the front so that he would have to do a higher intensity and we would be using up his energy quicker so that it was less likely that he could outclimb us at the end. And so, you know, there is there is a certain amount of tactics involved in energy utilization and what kind of energy. And I'm sure that... At the professional level, the tactics are even more nuanced, but a lot of it is, uh, especially in something like the Tour de France where energy is really important, can we get this person to dip into those carbohydrate stores and can we try and prevent them from recovering enough to get the sugar back through exogenous carbohydrate stores during the race or... You know, are they so exhausted that it's their recovery is hampered the next day? There's all these tactics around, you know, the limited supply of sugar and the fact that you need sugar at higher intensities.
1: Yeah, in a sense, that is the the limiter. It is a limiter, right? You can only use so much sugar. You can only process so much sugar when you're on the bike. You only have so much to start the day off with um, and you can only replenish it at a given rate. So all all those things influence and impact uh, the outcome of an event or outcome of a training ride, depending on what it may be. Um, whereas fat you've, you've got it. It's just, I think the question with fat becomes, can I burn it? Right. And can I ride at an intensity that allows me to lean on that plentiful fat store, uh, and able to, and in order to spare those carbohydrates for the key moments.
0: Yeah. And, uh, dare I jump ahead in, in the schedule, but, um, is there information about how we train fat metabolism so that we can do higher intensities while still burning fat, or um, you know, figure out how to stay at our fat zone as long as possible? Uh, I guess one intuitive thing is not to you know lurch forward in a race. Like, say there's an acceleration, just smoothly increase your power to match everyone instead of you know, sprinting for that gap or something like that. Are, you know, are there techniques to help us? do this better?
1: I mean, I think the, the real answer is that it's probably kind of boring. Actually, it's called doing your base training. Um, right. And that's, that's really the part of your training. That's going to, uh, help with the fat that adapt- the fat adaptation is these low, actually these lower intensity rides and kind of creeping up towards that barrier. But the, the point where you're at maximal fat burning is, you know, at at most, maybe 70% of VO2 max. So you're doing these lower intensity efforts, um, but for prolonged duration to ultimately become more efficient with it.
0: Yeah, I think I remember that 50% VO2 max is uh, sort of the gold standard for where you should expect this maximum fat burning. And like you said, base training, this is Uh, sort of this the space where we learn how to burn fat in the same way as with vo2 max you have to be near near vo2 max to encourage the stimulus to have a higher vo2 max if you want more fat metabolism it sounds like you know do more fat metabolism
1: oh i think that's you know at least from what i've seen that's sort of exactly it it's like well you gotta you gotta train um and you I mean with anything right whether you want to ride a bike fast or lift heavy weights, you have to have a certain specificity to your training uh, in order to achieve a goal and you know particularly for fat metabolism one of the things is you need to ride at these lower intensities now I have seen some work I don't have a paper in front of me but with the idea of maybe you can um, supercharge that process or maybe you can some people may say hack it a little bit and rather than you know, doing really, really long rides where you're depleting your carbohydrate stores and you're, um, you know, really forcing the body into fat metabolism is the idea of doing a ride from a fasted state. And so one of the things that we know, like why this theoretically works, one of the things that we know is that if you're in a fasted state, you tend to lean towards fat metabolism over carbohydrate metabolism. And we also know that if you do nothing else, if you just consume carbohydrates, your body will actually relatively shift preferentially toward carbohydrate metabolism. Um, not, not full out, but you like you can see a measurable change uh, in the energy substrate usage going from a semi-fasted state to moving towards uh, a, you know, carb- consumption of a carbohydrate-rich meal as your, your body is going to then... Start to burn more carbohydrates as a fuel source,
0: and I also remember from the base losing weight during base training episode. Um, I found a study that discussed the the fact that when you wake up after sleeping for the evening or for the whole night, I guess the your fat metabolism or your percent energy from fat is is massive, eighty percent plus, just sitting there. And the idea is the Further you are from carbohydrate ingestion, the more fat metabolism or fat utilization you have. Is that correct?
1: Right, because that's that's what's available for the body. And then, well, we, we'll go down this this road later. But if you're if you're even further from that, then you then you start to use ketones as an energy source, and that's a whole nother discussion. But we'll we'll get to that. Yes. Um,
0: so um, one one area for me, I'm I'm a pretty carb-heavy rider. I, I do a lot of base training. I like the longer races. I feel like I have pretty good fat metabolism, but at the end of the day, you know, I came from track, and, you know, 10 minutes before your race, you eat, you know, two gels and a water bottle, and, you know, you just load up on the sugar, because all the efforts are, you know, pop, 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 and it's a 15-minute race. Who cares? Um, You know, I just feel so awful when I don't have... You know the sugar I need how how do we balance this you know it seems intuitive let's eat less carbs then we can have more fat metabolism but there has to be a balance you can't just eat no carbs you have to you know what's the right answer and how do you figure it out for yourself
1: oh the the right answer isn't that the million dollar question how, how do you know I guess that's um, you
0: know why you hire you know specialists right
1: And then, you you know, that's why you go into a lab and poke and prod a little bit to figure out what, you know, what the cutoff points are for you. Uh, But, I mean, I think there's a couple things that we can think about here that we can maybe use as guiding principles, right? So, if you're, like you say, for yourself, right, you're coming from the track, you're used to these really short, high-intensity efforts, Um, you know, we do have a certain amount of fiber-type interconversion So, you know, that would bias you more towards the type two fibers, or maybe you tend to be, um, more likely to have a higher concentration of type two fibers having success with those, uh, or those short events. Mm -hmm. And what, what we know with fat metabolism is that really type two fibers in the muscle, uh, which I guess we should, you know, type two are the sprint, sprint, fast switch fibers, um, glycolytic you know, these are your, your explosive fibers. So mm-hmm. jumping sprinting type activity, those don't really use fat. Those are carbohydrate or, uh, you know, so if you do type one fibers, though, do use fat and we all, we have a, you know, a genetic predisposition to sort of where we, where we are in the spectrum of, you know, leaning more type two, uh, those are our, you know, sprinters in the, of the world are maybe more heavily type two. Track sprinters probably more so than road sprinters, and then you know your ultra endurance type folks are uh, more in the type one camp, right? Or your your endurance athletes. Well,
0: and maybe the wording is a little off. It's it's the people who sort of naturally excel in these certain disciplines. It's likely that there's a correlation with the relative uh, percentages of these different fiber types. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think that that's fair. I mean, I think. You're you're like you're unlikely to find a person who has the high, very high concentration of type two fibers winning the Tour de France, and you're you know also yeah. unlikely to find a person with a very high concentration of type one fibers, you know, winning the two hundred meter sprint.
0: And and your argument is that it's related to the substrate utilization within the muscles.
1: That's right. So those those two fiber types, for type one, is much more readily able to use uh fat as a substrate type 2 doesn't really utilize fat as a substrate it's just not because right, it, it's a short effort so it's not um prepared for fat so in that case if you have more uh, type 1 fiber mass then you're more likely to be able to one you may be able to adapt it more but two you'll just burn more fat Naturally, with exercise, you're more predisposed to um, using fat as a substrate.
0: Mm, And how does that uh, inform our, you know, decisions about where we should stand on, say, say it's uh, time to work on our fat metabolism? Which, you know, if we're all stuck inside, nobody's really racing, uh, or you know, stuck, uh, you know, maybe you get to go ride outside. Is is now a good time to work on our fat metabolism? does say someone's predisposed to be more of a snappy rider and we say "Eh, you could have a bit more carbs whereas someone who you know oh I do really well at these long efforts uh, can we say oh you should shirk the carbs even more or really you know get rid of them within your diet while you're working on this area
1: I I don't know that I'd necessarily say that I mean I think those so i guess i would look at it this way um the studies i've looked at i don't know that i've seen one that has you know done a, a muscle biopsy to classify the uh, fiber types of the individual new phd
0: but, uh you there know, go. New, student's new research new, yeah. new
1: research topic right we there can have that one for free uh, but yeah you know, what i've seen is that if you train and exercise generally for most people will improve fat metabolism. So you can certainly train it. Um, and you, right. You're doing this with this lower, these lower intensity efforts. Uh, but I would, I would venture to guess that the person who has more type one fibers or, you know, is predisposed to have more type one fibers may see a greater change than the person predisposed to see with more type two fibers, because they're mm-hmm. just more, the, but I could be right. It could be the other way, right? It could be like the person with more type one fibers, just you know, is already maxed it out, or is you know, they already have good have fat metabolism. Much, it, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have that much wiggle room. Whereas the person with type two fibers is very carb heavy, and given the opportunity, they can adapt readily. Like there's more range for them to adapt. So there you go. That's an interesting uh, science question, perhaps. Yeah,
0: and then now we're getting into the idea of. Um, you know, what kind of race is even suited for a particular athlete? There are some races that are, yeah, we just need you to have a lot of sugar and be able to, you know use it all at once. And there are other races that are we just need you to be able to pedal for seven hours and not fall off your bike. And then there's everything in between. and being able to understand yourself as a rider, where am I on that spectrum, and where do I excel within races? That's, also a good conversation to have with yourself. And then it allows you to target the right races where you're likely to succeed or likely to gain an advantage over your opponents.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you, you would not be far off if you're looking to do a race, you know, independent of your, your skill set or your baseline, you said, Oh, okay. What are, what are the qualities of this race? Is it a really long race? Is it a really short race? Is it very hilly? What have you? And you built out your training to simulate that race. That to me seems like a a reasonable guiding principle if all else fails. Right. Um, Right. That's, that was, uh, Eddie Merckx's, you know, wisdom, right? It's like, oh, how do you get good at sprinting after a six hour race? Ride for six hours and then practice your sprint. Yeah. You know, practice like you play. Uh, and so I think, yes, there's, you know, all of our scientific approaches and we can, you know, we can dig really deep into the data. But I do think there's something to be said, either from a psychological standpoint, but also from a physiologic standpoint. It's like, well, what race are you trying to do? Your training should probably look something like it, right? Like you shouldn't, if you're trying to do a six-hour race, you shouldn't just do 10-second sprints all day and hope that that's going to get you there.
0: Yeah, and I think what's also interesting is the um, there's this conversation, and this is also from the VO two max episode. This idea of wait do we want to do high intensity interval training or do we want to do you know some sub-threshold effort or something in between and I think the idea with high intensity interval training is the ability to have high average power, this you know massive amount of kilojoules coming out, but it doesn't really take into account the substrate that the energy is being taken from. And so remembering that lower intensities, yeah, you're not going to burn as many calories. But we're focusing on, you know, potentially if you are a racer who uses fat metabolism on the the right thing, the, you know, the, the thing that will actually make us better at our event. So remembering once again, you know, have your events and your training match up, but also realizing that if you do choose to say you don't have enough time after work or there's some other limitation, remembering that. You know if if you want to do longer events or you want to do events that have more fat metabolism in them you have to have that simulation in your training it it may not be exactly the same maybe you don't have time or uh, the maybe not even the right environment in terms of you don't live near hills but you're going to go out to colorado to do a race or something like that you know try and get the substrate utilization to match up try and get everything to sort of fit together properly
1: yeah, I think that's that's a fair point, right? It's like you you, know, you you may not have the convenience of being able to go pre-ride the race or you know even simulate it fairly uh closely, but you can certainly back out to, you know, maybe some of the underlying principles and say like, "Well, what you know, what energy system am I going to be using for this race?" or, you know, "What are what are some of the specific demands of the race?" If I can't simulate all of those things, can I at least pick some of them to focus on? Um and maybe I can pick the ones where I'm I'm most limited, and you know, try to address those first, right? Like, what are what are my weak points there?
0: Yeah, and I would say it's really interesting. Um, a lot of newer riders they're they're really good at carbohydrate metabolism, especially if they come from another sport. You know, soccer, um, crew, rowing, uh, even cross country. These are all shorter events than cycling in general, and they'll generally have high, pretty high VO2 max, good carbohydrate utilization. And specifically, cycling is a a much higher volume sport, and it's because, you know, who wants to run for four hours straight? But cycling for four hours straight, it's a little bit easier. So, you know, realizing that, I think that for most people, it comes intuitive that the high intensity comes naturally, Um, but you may need to focus on this shorter stuff, the slower stuff, the fat metabolism stuff to sort of catch up to the other riders who have been doing it for longer.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Right? It's just like my you know miles in the legs. Go go somewhere. Those those miles happened at some point from riding for a long time on a given day. And you had to metabolize fat to do that.
0: Yeah, and I th- I think also for newer riders, the there is always this temptation to sort of, um, I want to do a hundred watts and then when the hill comes, I want to do four hundred watts. And then I want to go back to my 100 watts to get to the next hill. And the point of this is the 400 watts is all carbohydrates. The 100 watts is really almost no calories burned. What we really want is 200 watts the whole time, because that gets you right into that fat metabolism zone. And that's what really teaches your body to use the fat. And I think that's something that especially newer riders and also riders without excuse me, riders without a power meter because they can't see the power output necessarily. They're not as in tune with the, the current intensity of their ride. But it is really important to, if you're going to train your fat metabolism, stay in that fat-burning zone. And just because your average power says 200 watts, it doesn't mean that you burned any fat or very much fat.
1: Right, right So
0: right. And it's really common for, um, like... You know, especially, I think, master's riders or riders who do a lot of group riding, they're really into the high-intensity stuff. Like, it feels good. It feels like you're really getting something done. Obviously, it's fun to go fast on the bike, but there's no fat metabolism happening. So when you go to that road race and you get blown out of the water at hour three, it's because you haven't trained your fat metabolism. So you, you've you already used up all your carbohydrates. So just, just recognizing that there is this relationship and sort of admitting that Oh, I I have to do 200 watts or whatever your number is for your power profile, and just be willing to sit there for as much of the workout as possible.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. That, so that's how you're going to improve your fat metabolism, and at you know at the end of the day, that's going to allow you to go fast when it matters. Uh, you know, if you're racing, it's going that's going to allow you to have you know that little, that little extra burst towards the end of your event to, to accelerate and to feel strong when you finish, what, it, what whatever it is, uh, whether it's a, just a long gravel event or a hundred mile ride or you know whatever it is that you're doing, that sort of conscious effort of holding back while you're going on a long training ride is what's going to pay dividends in the long run because you're going to be burning more fat and then you'll conserve the carbohydrates for when you really need them.
0: Yep. So, what else do we have on uh fat metabolism?
1: So, two two things I'm going to go with that are sort of bringing um current current down I, I want to call them fads. I, I will call them current um fascinations areas of, the, of interest of the world right now. Um and so one is the the concept of the fat adapted athlete, uh which is this idea that you know contrary to jason's strongly held belief one might eat a higher concentration of fat in their diet uh, in order to you know in theory maximize this fat metabolism and hopefully see no detriment to their endurance performance and lo and behold this has actually been around for a long time um so there was a study actually in 1983 and i I believe this is one that was done um, before the 1984 Olympics uh, when the U.S. was trying to get the upper hand because they're hosting the Olympics in L.A. that year. So, there, you know, one of these was looking at uh, high concentration of carbohydrates in the diet. Um, and there's that. And there was this a follow-up study that was done in 94. There's been a lot of done, work done lately, right, in the last, say, five to seven years uh, on this topic and looking at endurance athletes and can we have them eating higher concentrations of fat? And it was just interesting, like in this physiology book that I have, they, they made a comment and I know this is going to cause you pain, Jason. It's like for, you know, for people who, you know, burn high, high amounts of energy, uh, it's actually really hard for them to meet their caloric needs without Bumping up their fat content just because of the volume of food. Um, yep. Any okay. In, anyhow, um, and so they were saying like thirty percent wouldn't be common, which I think would maybe agree with the the paper you presented about the Olympic athletes, right? Yep. So anyhow, um, so this, these studies looked at folks. Yeah, approximately forty percent of their calories are coming from carbohydrates. And they had a, an, an adaptation period where they allow their bodies to, you know, adjust. And what they ultimately said was they saw no decrease in endurance performance. Um, but then they also commented that, you know, as in all sports science, the studies were small and therefore, you know, maybe these, you know, we need to do more research. And I think the more research has been done more recently and it, it seems that there's still some evidence out there that this bad ad- adapted athlete thing can work. Um, but I think it also depends on what sport you're doing. Right. And like this, the specific demands of the sport are probably going to play a pretty important role. Yes. Yeah, the, so, the last I, the last I read about it was for uh race walking, which is a you know, different, different yeah, than cycling.
0: Yeah. So, um, just to give my own experience with the the fat versus carbs, um, I actually agree with the when you have a high caloric load or a high caloric demand for a given day, it is really difficult to get the food in. Like, for example, you have a four or five hour endurance ride, you're burning 3,500, 4,000 calories on that ride. And also, if you have 16 waking hours in a day and five of them are spent on the bike and then half an hour on each end you you only have 10 hours of time to eat back 6000 calories and if you try to eat that all with carbs you you know your blood sugar goes through the roof you you have oatmeal popping out of your ears like it, it's just really hard to get it all in if you only have carbs so one way to get more calories is you know put some butter in your vegetables or olive oil or You know, you can add the fat and that gets you the caloric demands you want if you want to maintain weight. Because uh, the main reason I believe that professional cyclists are super lean is because of this phenomenon during base. They can't. They just literally cannot eat enough to gain the weight back and they end up getting leaner. So I, I think it is a good idea if you do have these high caloric demands to eat more fat, but at the same time, when I when I would eat more carbs instead of fat in these situations, I would feel better on the bike. And um, I think that you know I think you could do it either way. But once you start to move into the higher intensity efforts, and uh, of course this season is is all messed up. But last season I would do VO two max intervals as part of a four and a half hour workout. So you need the carbohydrates. In addition to the total caloric demands, so if you're going to be doing long effort, long efforts or long workouts with high intensity in them, you do you need the carbs no matter what. So, um, you know, figuring out the right balance for your demands as a cyclist, I think a lot of people they don't you know they could get away with a higher fat diet because they aren't doing so much high intensity, and other people who are doing only the high intensity. Well, you know, one, your total caloric demands are gonna be lower, but two, all your energy is coming from carbs. So, you know, let's load up on that and make sure we don't have a deficit so we can maximize the training value of that high intensity. It's it's all a balance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then one other one other topic that I'm just gonna just just touch on, because I think it's it's popular right now. Like you read a lot about it in the press. I mean you've probably read you know, depending on, depending on which press you read, um, if you read the popular, the popular press, um, you've probably heard about keto diet. You've heard that kicked around a little bit. Yep. Um, and then if you read in the you know, the cycling world, uh, you've heard about the uh, exogenous um, ketones that people are, you know, sometimes when writers are using as a supplement. Yep. And so what, like, what is this all about? And uh, so, okay. So ketones are like a, a substrate that the body can use and really the body uses it in basically three, three scenarios. So one starvation, two fasting, three prolonged endurance exercise. So, okay. okay? So keto diet in popular culture is this like super low carb. You're, 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 fa- you're, forcing your body to use fat and ketones are derived from fat. Um, and so the, they will get used by the brain and will get used by the muscles. Um, it also, you see them in, uh, sometimes folks are diabetic because the carbs aren't properly utilized. And so they, they end up using ketones. And Hmm. the downside of a high concentration of ketones in the body is that one of the byproducts is acetone. And so you can actually like smell that. You actually uh, expire that you can like smell that on people's breath. And that's, this is not a good thing. Um, so anyhow, um, Ketones, however, through exercise training, uh, your muscle tissue can use them and your muscle tissue actually becomes better at using them. And so I guess there is some, you know, underlying principle here for why you might, uh, want to supplement and give your, your body exogenous ketones, um, with the idea that it can be an additional energy substrate for the end of a long event. And I, I, what I remember is uh riders it was in the tour de france that uh, well, i remember first hearing about like, riders and tour were using it and the idea was that it may help give them a little extra pop at the end of the mm. event because there's this uh, this sort of alternative energy pathway to the carbs and fat they're already burning and so this makes sense there's certainly um physiologic um precedent right that hey our muscles use this we've known this for a while um, and now it's just being, I think, explored a little bit more. And as, you know, as is all good sport, right? We're, we're trying to push the boundaries of performance and we're going to go out and, you know, read, read whatever science will tell us and sort of explore the bounds of physiology, which, I mean, isn't that sort of what we're all doing to a certain extent when we go out and, and challenge ourselves on a bike ride?
0: Yeah, I, I don't have any th- any problem with, uh, you know, exogenous ketones or I, I understand the logic of, we need some more pathways to get energy into our muscles after a long event this could be a potential way i think that the main idea here is let's focus on the science and let's let's make sure we have good studies that are peer reviewed and if they say that you know it gives us some sort of advantage then you know also it doesn't uh, you know inextricably damage us for the rest of our lives or something like that then you know, there, there's no reason not to use it. I mean, this is sort of the thing cyclists have been doing forever to say, how can I get that little edge? It's part of the tactics of racing. And, um, I think it's interesting. We don't, I think at this point, we don't know that much about it. We just have an idea that it could be beneficial.
1: Yep. And I, I remember in. um, a short paper last year that said, yes, there's some results, but then I also read a commentary on it that said, well, maybe the methods there weren't like perfect. And maybe we shouldn't take those results to be, um, you know, solid. And again, as with all good papers, you know, we should do, we should do some more research um, and figure out what the real, the real answer is, or at least get a better idea of what the answer may be.
0: Yeah, and this is also interesting because my normal reaction is, let's see what the pros are doing, and they can give us a good indication of, you know, what the front end, what the pointy end of science says, because, of course, they're they're the ones most desperate for the performance increase. But it's interesting, I I was talking to a professor recently that kind of said the opposite in that uh, professional cyclists sometimes are worried about trying something new because they don't want it to be detrimental, So it's interesting to see, you know, if riders are using it in the Tour de France, they must be pretty confident that it's a net positive and there's no performance detriment because of the, you know, the inherent risk of doing something that makes them slower.
1: Well, at least, you know, may not be guaranteed positive, but they're at least convinced that there's no negative effects from it, right?
0: Yeah, just like uh, longer crank arms, right? We know they won't make you slower, probably.
1: Well, not gonna make you slower, but might make you faster. Therefore, you know. It's try it. Trying. Try it your own will. Yeah. And if, yeah. It, and if you feel like it makes you faster then it probably did. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's something interesting. I think it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'd say like, Hey, go out and, you know, try some ketones on your next training ride. I don't think I'm that convinced of it yet, but more, more research on my part, uh, is needed for that one as well.
0: Yeah. I, I assume a personal test here would be doing a four hour endurance ride at 50% VO2 max and three hours in get a bottle uh, with these dissolved in it, and you know, drink it over the next half hour. And if you're flying up your last climb, then uh, you know, keep doing that. But uh, if if you well, feel well, now the
1: I have a, you have to do it. You have to do it double blind though, or something, right? You have to have you know, one day I have to give you a bottle that has it in it, and the the next day, not well, I, until you.
0: I would argue that's not true. You know, if if it's a placebo effect and you still get faster, then uh, you know, roll with it. It's it's still fine
1: then then roll with it but then just let me let me swap out that bottle of sugar and it will be just as good and save a lot of money yeah
0: yeah also true well i guess um if you have the the financials to you know have a coach or um you know coworker, or colleague or um partner who's willing to uh you know play the mind games with you to give you the advantage there's no reason to do that you know not do that either
1: fair fair enough so, oh, um,
0: yeah, is that, is that what you have, uh, for that episode?
1: That's, that's all, that's all I've got for now. I mean, I think the key, key points here are, you know, fat is a key, key energy source for, you know, powering your performance, especially as your, uh, your rides, training rides, races, events get into the, you know, times that are in hours rather than seconds or minutes. And you, what you really want to do is you, you want carbs to provide the high, high octane high power but you want to keep as many of your carbs available and onboard as possible and so that what's what really highlights the importance for fat burning and we really want to optimize our fat burning for as much of those long events as possible again in order to preserve the carbohydrates for the times where we need to put down the power and the way we're going to do that is really by doing our base training Uh, by doing those lower intensity, longer rides, uh, and forcing the body to become uh, more efficient at using fat and be able to use fat for more of our energy. I think the other piece of this is maybe we can hack this by starting off some of these rides in a little bit of a fasted state. So we're already biased towards burning fat. And then we, we start our ride there. Um, and of course, as Jason added, you know, we, we still need to have some carbohydrates in order to burn fat. Uh, we can't just burn fat by itself indefinitely so we need to make sure that we do uh, supplement our carbohydrates again to keep that topped off and available because fat doesn't burn by itself
0: yeah and and i would add to that that when you are doing your workouts think about you know is this a carbohydrate workout is this a fat workout and uh, cater both your diet to it but also keep in mind you know i've had a few you know a lot of carbohydrate workouts you know, in the last couple of weeks. And am I neglecting my fat metabolism? Because, you know, as, as racing cyclists, we have to kind of be able to do everything. So just keeping in mind that these are two different energy systems and, you know, being able to find the right balance for yourself and just keeping it in mind, it can help you, you know, strike that balance better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's the key is remember that it's, a complicated system, this human body that we have, and there's many things that we need to optimize. So uh, don't ignore any one in favor of another for too long in your training cycles. Yep.
0: So um, if that's that, Todd.
1: Well, until next time, uh, keep the rubber side down. And if you do enjoy our podcast, uh, please feel free to share with your friends, leave us a review. We do like that feedback and we'll see you next time.